Hello, fellow planeswalkers, and welcome to Into the Ether Vortex. My name's Ninja Boy, your guide to all of the different ways you can enjoy Magic the Gathering, and how they all come together into something wild, wacky, and a little bit magical. So before we get to the bulk of this episode, I hope everyone is staying safe. Uh, this episode comes out just about the three-month mark of stay-at-home orders due to COVID-19, and you know, plus all of the protests these past few weeks with response to police brutality, uh, it feels really heavy to be a human being right now. You know, it makes you want to planes walk away to some other place, not right here. But I will say that I have been hardened by the magic community rallying in support of the Black Lives Matter movement in signal boosting and holding fundraising tournaments to support those very worthy causes. Magic is, after all, about the gathering. And not only can I not wait to be back in my local game store after all this pandemic stuff is over, I can't wait to be there alongside the rich and diverse group of people that make up the magic community. So with that being said, uh, let's dive into the rest of the episode. With M21 and Jumpstart spoilers in full swing right now, uh, next week I'll be doing my usual episode where I look at the new cards from the set that I'm going to be slotting into my various decks and, you know, cards that give me ideas to make new decks. In the meantime, though, you know, the Ikoria format is kind of winding down. Uh, there was a huge ban list, you know, last week. Um, and... Uh, I wanted to talk about, you know, one element of the Magic the Gathering experience that's a little bit more evergreen, uh, and I don't think it's actually talked about too much on podcast or online that much. Uh, you know, that's separate from the gameplay, that's collecting. After all, Magic is a collectible and trading card game. Uh, you know, so this episode, however, I think is really an excuse for me to thumb through my binders and maybe tell a few stories about specific cards. You know, after all, with us playing Magic mostly digitally over the past, you know, couple of months, it's nice to have a chance to feel the physical cardboard and plastic sleeves in my hands. Now, when I talk about collection, I'm talking about cards that I don't really have an intention of ever putting into a deck. I have mentioned in the past I do have decks that, for example, sew off every Gideon card or every Chandra card in Oathbreaker or maybe having an Ajani sub-theme uh, within my Cat's Tribal deck. Heck, I even got the Thorough Stargazing Secret Lair drop a couple uh, months ago for the express purpose of making a God Tribal deck using the Constellation Showcase cards. You know, one other deck uh, I want to call out is my Tarkir block deck. You know that has every dragon uh, in it that fit from that block that fits into a cycle. Um, so that could be considered a collection in another sense. I also have a cube of uncards that features every card from Unstable, including all of the different variants. You know, plus many of the playtest cards from Mystery Boosters, and I'm hoping to, you know, hopefully one day have all the Mystery Booster playtest cards uh, added to that cube. Um, you know, however, these are going to get played with between me and my friends. Uh, the cards in this episode, however, you know, are mostly sitting in my binder, uh, not a trade binder, uh, mostly for sentimental value reasons. I do have a separate trade binder that I bring with me to the store, the GP, um, you know, to you know maybe trade to, to, to get cards uh, to build with, but the ones I'm talking about in this episode are those I don't plan on parting with anytime soon. Now, I know that not everyone has the economic means to have a collection like this. Uh, you know, while it's not to the point where I'm you know, able to collect the Power 9 or the original Dual Lands, uh, I am privileged enough to have a career and income that allows me to partake in this hobby, you know, 
uh, when we're able to go into the store, playing a draft once or maybe twice a week, buying a decent amount of product. Um, I'll usually pick up a uh, box uh, from each set and, you know, a couple of, and I tend to collect all of the commander pre-con decks um, as well as any starter pre-con decks as well. You know, that said, aside from the secret layer drops and, you know, those budget, those cards that I budget for for each set release as well as when going to the GP, uh, most of the cards I have, I've opened in the course of playing Magic organically. That box on those, or those pre-con decks that I, that I buy, I end up, you know, playing limited with my friends. Um, and those, the car, I never open the box just for getting the cards inside of them. Um, I don't keep any, you know, sealed product around in my place uh, to speculate on, speculate on MTG finance style as an investment. I'm in a pretty small New York apartment, and it's all I can do to negotiate for space for my ED8 deck boxes as well as my binders. Um, hopefully this lets you see that you know you can have a meaning a collection that's meaningful to you even if it's something as simple as just collecting a bunch of basic lands that you really identify and you like the art of so that being said what do i collect so i'll, I'll break it down into three categories um first are individual cards then there are cards of a particular theme and then there are kind of collecting project which i'll kind of distinguish between what a theme is and then the, and the collecting projects in a little bit um you know also this is a pretty visual uh, thing looking at my cards. So I'll have a Twitter thread up, um, you know, at EtherVortexPod, uh, links in the show notes, uh, where you can follow along with pictures of my collection. Hopefully that, that helps things out. So first off, individual cards. I think the most valuable cards from a financial sense are two masterpiece cards. Uh, for any newer players, before the showcase cards are more common nowadays, Wizards had a few sets that they randomly inserted alternate art cards that weren't part of the set proper. In Battle for Zendikar, uh, these were the Zendikar Expeditions and were all-powerful lands. Um, I was fortunate enough in my Battle for Zendikar pre-release that I did in Philadelphia, I opened up a Expedition Scalding Tarn, which is pretty exciting and you know one of the highlights of, of my pre-release experience that night. Um, a few years later, I would just be randomly playing an Amonkhet draft uh, at my local game store here, Monacy, uh, shout out to them. And I randomly opened a Force, for, a for, a force of Will Amonkhet Invocation, you know, that hieroglyphic looking uh, a masterpiece. So again, those are definitely the most valuable cards financially in my collection that live in my binder. Um, but again, those aren't something that I picked up, uh, you know, I, I put out money for. Those just kind of happen. I happen to have come across them. Um, you know, in 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 that same picture that I have, you know, of that page with the the Tarn and the Forcer World, there's what most would consider a pretty junky rare from Ether Revolt, a uh, Call for Unity. Uh, this one's a little bit more sentimental value than financial value. Uh, so, fun fact: I actually got married in Singapore, and I had come a couple days early before the wedding, and my now wife still had work at the time. So, you know, I was free to wander around the city and and do a little bit of sightseeing, and so I made time to visit a few local game stores, and I picked up a few packs. Um, I actually do this when I travel, and I try to keep all the cards from those packs of souvenirs. I have uh, cards from Haruea in Tokyo, some cards from Hong Kong, and of course Singapore. Um, it just so happened that Call for Unity was the rare I pulled from my Singapore pack, and you know, it being fitting, you know, my being my wedding weekend, uh, I had my wife and I sign it to mark the occasion of getting married. Uh, so that lives in that binder there. Uh, the next card in, in that row is a Foil Sovereign's Realm. Uh, this is a Conspiracy card from uh, Conspiracy Take the Crown. It's not a super powerful card, and it's not... Well, it is, it is powerful in draft, but it's really you can't really make use for it anywhere outside of cube. Um, but I keep it... It's because it's, it's mostly a funny memory. Um, I was going to Monacy to, to draft Conspiracy Take the Crown with my friends, and I had mentioned on the way that you know, it would be pretty fun if, you know, I would be, if I was able to draft Sovereign's Realm. I, you know, I wasn't going to be able to play uh, Conspiracy Take the Crown all that much 
months. Um, I think there were limited events for for it because that was a summer there was just tons of stuff coming out. So, you know, I was hoping you know, maybe on the off chance I get to pull Sovereign Swarm and play with it. Lo and behold, pack one, pick one. I get the foil version of Sovereign Swarm. So that's just a you know fun little memory uh, of that event. Uh, the next row is I call my Grand Prix, my Grand Prix row. So the first you know GP that I went to was in 2019, uh, GP New Jersey, and I got the four lightning bolt promo uh, there. Um, the solo wing promo came from attending the command zone in GP Phoenix uh, in 2019. Oh, sorry, the first. Yeah, yeah, in 2019, um, which I attended with a co-worker since our company is based out of Phoenix. And then the path to exile came from going to GP New Jersey this year in 2020, you know, before all the GPs got canceled. So I was fortunate enough to be able to get the, the path to exile, uh, uh, path of exile uh, promo. Um, the Omneth Locus of the Royal is a foil one that I got by exchanging my price tickets from GP Phoenix for a foil copy. Um, you know, you can you can tell from the last episode I put out that I really like Omnath as a character in Magic Lore. So I figured, you know, why not get a foil copy? Um, if I ever end up making the Teamer Elemental Tribal deck I'm going to do, this is probably going to end up being the commander of that deck. Uh, the last one of this binder is actually non-magic cards. Um, they're promotional cards uh, from attending various movies. Uh, I believe you know the Obelisk, the Tormentor, was from going to the Yu-Gi-Oh! Dark Side of the Dimensions movie in 2016. The Asus Pikachu came from the 2017 Pokemon I2Z, that happened to be the 20th anniversary of the franchise. And Detective Pikachu came from the 2019 movie of the same name. Uh, fun fact, I actually didn't get the Detective Pikachu card from going to the theater because my theater had actually run out of promos by the time I got to see the movie. Um, but gosh darn it, I wasn't going to lose out on this promo that was definitely rightfully mine, so I ended up uh, getting one online. It was pretty cheap anyway, so not, not too big of a deal. Uh, speaking of cards that are rightfully mine, I also have a number of FNM promos in my binder, um, or in a binder, um, and you know, as well as the special version of cards from the various uh, Tarkir pre-release and Ugin Fate promo events. So the card I want to talk about here is that Fatal Puss promo. So back when you know we could play in the store on Friday Night Magic, if you ended up going two and zero in a draft pod at my store, uh, you would usually make it to the final pairing, and it was generally better EV to just split with your other player um, and get you know. You know, a little bit more higher EV on prize packs, and if there was an FNM promo, uh, you'd end up getting the uh, you'd end up getting that promo. Um, now, I consider myself an okay drafter, but you know, getting the two O pairing is by no means a third for me. Um, and you know, in September 2017, when Ixalan came out, uh, the Fatal Puss was the FNM promo. Now, given that this is a, a modern staple, that definitely upped the number of people coming to Friday Night Magic trying to get you know Fatal Puss. Um, I was definitely one of them, and I enjoyed. I ended up going week after week the entire month trying to get it, um, but was never able to for the first couple of weeks. And then finally, the last week that uh, you know it was. An eligible promo, uh, I somehow navigated the draft to end up in the final pairing. I went 2-0, and, oh, and I was pretty ecstatic. However, uh, some one other pair at the other point uh, had ended up drawing, uh, to going to turns, and so I could not split the final pod, but had to play it out. Unfortunately, I ended up losing that game, and you know the two who had tied, who granted were probably better players than me, ended up getting the the F and M the 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 promo uh, fatal pusses. That was pretty sad. Um, but you know that said, I had set a goal for myself to make it two zero in the draft uh, to get the promo. So even if I didn't get it from the store. Um, you know, I ended up buying it for myself, and I still treasure it because that was kind of you know me setting a goal for myself in order to um, in order to get the promo. 
Um, you know, that aside, another one like this is next to it is the Arcbound Ravager promo from last year's uh, Mythic Championship Qualifiers. Um, Monacy hosted a modern qualifier event. And it was my first time playing a competitive REL constructed event. Uh, I do mostly limited for the most part. Um, I ended up doing pretty terribly. Um, I had a rogue 20 bolt burn brew in modern. You know, I had grinded it out for like a month ahead of time trying to, you know, figure out what the meta in my local in my local scene was. Um, the fact that Faithless Looting had gotten banned for the sins of Hogak uh, at the time didn't help my build because it was pretty reliant on Faithless Looting. Um, but that said, you know, I, I did want to kind of, I guess, reward myself for putting in the effort. I, I was able to reward myself for putting in the effort to learn a deck, build a deck, and, and, and try it out and try something outside of my comfort zone. Um, so that's what this, you know, uh, Arcbound Ravager promo is for me. The last card I wanted to talk about individually is actually a pack of cards. So, you know, as I mentioned, one of the things I do when going to other countries or places is try to visit local game stores and get a local pack, often in the local language. Now, this pack uh, is a Rise of Eldrazi Japanese pack, um, but this actually didn't come from my trip to Japan. Uh, this actually came from playing at Monacy. So the story is I was doing an unstable draft, as I was, as you'll hear many times throughout this episode, I did a lot of unstable, and I ended up opening a card called Summon the Pack. Uh, this is a black mythic rare that allows you to open a Magic the Gathering pack and put all creatures from it onto the battlefield as monsters well i had drafted the deck the card and while it was one in 40 in my deck i ended up actually being able to cast it in the game so in order to kind of you know i was never going to have this chance to do this again uh for the story equity i went and bought the most expensive pack i could in the store uh, which again happened to be the rise of eldrazi japanese pack uh, unfortunately there were no big crazy eldrazi in the pack but it's still a great story so uh, for this, I kept the summon the pack, uh, all of the contents of the pack, as well as the wrapper of the rise of uh, rise of the Eldrazi uh, booster uh, in my binder. So aside from the individual cards, you know, I also talked about I I, I collect cards in the theme. Uh, so what does that mean? You know, so these are kind of open ended. I don't really have an endpoint on when I'm gonna you know finish collecting these, but uh, I, it's just something I, I'm kind of always on collecting. Um, so you know, the first one I ever started collecting was actually legendary creatures. Um, again, I don't go out of my way to collect every single legendary creature ever printed, but if I you know, open one in a pack or something, I'll definitely keep them separate from the rest of the draft chaff that I end up collecting and put them in a binder that I have specifically for legendary creatures. I actually don't have a picture of this up just because like, you know, it's just uh, too big, basically. Um, I think this started back when I was getting into EDH, logic being that if I ever ran out of an idea for what commander I should build next, um, I'll just go into this binder and just pull something from the binder I haven't built and, and build that out. You know, of course, uh, that's not happening anytime, so I have lots of ideas for decks I want to build that I haven't gotten to yet. But I do go out of my way to include as many legendary creatures in my EDH decks where appropriate. For example, uh, in my cat tribal deck, I try to include all the legendary cats in color. Uh, part of the appeal of these, I think, is how evocative these characters are when it comes to the world building and lore that speaks to the inner Vorthos in me. Uh, I have them all separated out by color identity as opposed to just color since it's related to EDHs. Um, and I also actually do this for Planeswalkers as well. Um, the expectation is that I'm going to make a Oathbreaker deck for each Planeswalker at some point. Um, uh, like I mentioned before, or or I might slot them into the sub-theme of the EDH deck, such as all the Ajani's within a Cat tribal deck. Um, you know, the spell, the spell singer book, uh, the the spell books that are coming out, signature spell books. Um, I'm definitely going to be including those cards in there as well. And you know, for example, Sandra had uh, all of her. Uh, cards from last uh, core set. Um, you know, Teferi has a bunch of this coming core set, I think. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see there. 
Um, you know, I also don't have an image of it, but I have a token binder as well. Um, I think tokens are an underappreciated part of the Mazda game, and I got out of my way to complete a set from each block that I draft. It's usually pretty easy. Uh, they're pretty low, low value, and so if you ask your draft pod, hey, you know, do you mind you know, you using your token? If they, you know, if eight times out of ten they'll hand them over, um, the two out of ten times is either they're also collecting tokens or their deck happens to use the tokens they opened, um, and so they'll need it for actually their games. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty you know pretty low effort to try to just collect tokens, and you'll just amass a bunch of them anyway. Uh, the next theme of cards I collect is also pretty common, I think. Um, I keep all of my pre-release and release weekend promo cards in a separate binder in order, um, chronological order. I've been playing back since 2015 with Fate Before It, so it's nice to look back over the you know past five years of events I've been to. I haven't had 100% attendance. You know, there are a lot of times when the weekends uh, of release or pre-release will line up with a trip I'm taking out of town, unfortunately. Um, and you know, I also do have some duplicates from some sets I play more than one once in a given weekend. In those cases, I'll keep the promos, uh, but any duplicates, you know, I'll keep separate. So, uh, yeah, just keeping your pre-release promos as like a little history of my magic experience. Um, I also have the various buy a box promos, and you know, like I said before, uh, I actually don't used to not buy boxes for sets. Um, a couple of things changed though. First, you know, I found a consistent play group who will do draft or sealed with me uh, once or twice each set. I don't like opening boxes, you know, just to open boxes. Um, I have to be playing with the cards for them. Um, secondly, you know, I, I got a place in my career. I was fortunate enough where I was able to afford buying boxes, um, you know, at, at a more regular basis. Um, and, you know, also just going back to the idea of I want to go back and support my local game store, in this case, Monacy, um, with their, uh, you know, keep them open and buying boxes is a good way to do that. Uh, third and most relevant for this episode, Wizards started doing unique buy a box promos uh, in their boxes starting in Dominaria with Firesong and Sunspeaker. Uh, these cards would usually speak to the Vorthos and Tammy to me as, uh, as opposed to, you know, just the alternate art version of a card already in the set. Um, and kind of that, that limited, uh, limited availability also, you know, kind of added more urgency to it. Uh, the only box I didn't buy was a Nexus of Fate from uh, Core 19. Um, and Magic 19, and you know, that's the card. And aside from that, though, most of the cards aren't com competitively viable and were often a legendary creature, which kind of, you know, went with my earlier theme of collecting legendary creatures. Um, the ones that aren't legendary, I keep in a separate portion of my binder, which I have a picture of on Twitter. Um, and legendary, legendary creatures go into the legendary creature binder, which I haven't quite yet done with my Godzilla cards yet from Ikoria. Um, since they started doing bundle promos as well, I've been a sucker and got those as well, though for the most part, those have actually been slotting into... Um, Slotting into the uh, some decks I have, for example, Chandra's Regulator uh, is going into my uh, Chandra Tribal deck. Um, you know, on that tweet that has its image, you'll also see I have a stained uh, glass foil Narset from a Secret Lair. That one's definitely in the binary just because it's super valuable. Um, I think it's somewhere at sixty dollars, which is a nice surprise. But you know, again, I wasn't planning on getting that one. Um, I also have a couple spare tickets from the two New Jersey GPs I'd been to. Again, mostly kind of for nostalgia's sake. Finally, I have the collecting projects. Uh, these are similar to themes, but in my head, they have like a definite endpoint to them, um, or at least they do until Wizards announces something that you know will will mess up my plans. Um, you also see a bunch of secret layers throughout these images, as you know they more or less I put them in here kind of for wherever my binder happened to have space to kind of display them all nicely. 
Um, I guess I should also speak briefly on the binders I'm using. Um, the binders I use are Dex Protection, uh, and they have three rows of four cards on a single page. Um, that means when they're open, a two-page spread has eight columns of three rows. Uh, this definitely influences how I display my cards. I'm usually looking for combinations of either four and four, or more likely, since I'm collecting cycles of five, of five, and then something that has like three of them. Um, uh, if anyone knows of any binders with five columns in them on a single page, let me know. So... For example, you know, one of the things I try to collect uh, are cycles of lands, and most commonly basic lands. These often come in five. Um, for most, you know, you'll see um, you'll see in many of the cycles, you know, one of the things that I fill in the three with are unstable contraptions. Um, for each of the five factions with the unstable, there were nine cards, so forty-five total, uh, that made up one giant image split among the cards that you know represented the particular faction. So I use these, you know, three extra columns at three rows each um, to fill in, you know, a bunch of spaces on in my binder. So again, I played Unstable a lot, so it was pretty easy for me to collect all of these contraptions. Um, beyond that, like I said, lands are the most common cycle I collect. Uh, my binder starts off with the three unsets. Um, Again, I started playing Unstable most, so that's I, I was easy to get there. I actually played Unstable enough to be able to get a full draft set, uh, 12 cards of each basic land for 60 cards total that I keep sleeved up so that whenever I go to the store, I have lands already ready to play. I don't need to go to the land station. Other than that, uh, we also have the Unglued lands, which is where full art lands you know, made their debut, followed by the Unhinged lands as well. Um, you know, a bit later on in the in the binder, you'll also see the five secret layer bases from Unstable. Uh, each of them, the same card basically, but each with a different art from one of the factions, as well as the full art foil lands from Unsanctioned that came out earlier this year, plus one each of the squirrel lands uh, that came with Un Unsanctioned as well. On top of that, I also have the Hascon promos from 2017, Nerf War, Swords of Dungeons and Dragons, and the Gold Dragon token. Uh, Grimlock was also included in that promo set, but it's actually sitting in my Dinosaur Tribal deck box. Um, I also got the My Little Pony Extra Life promos from 2019, which, hey, it's for charity, why not? Um, and then the five color kaleidoscope secret layer cards here as well. Um, these actually might get moved later since, you know, I'm planning on building a Sliver EDH deck with Sliver Overlord and the five color dragon deck with the Ur Dragon at some point in the future. Uh, the next land project I have is, you know, pretty low value when you think about it. Um, like I said before, my entry point to magic was during Fate Reforged, the Tarkeel block. Um, this is really a lot of sentimental value to me, so I collected a full set of Tarkeel lands, um, all 10 gain lands, and as well as the original Tri lands, which probably are going for about a quarter less eats. Um, so that's definitely not a high valuable portion. I also have the three Spirit Dragon lands from the three sets, uh, Tomb, Crucible, and Haven. Um, you know, it's, again, it's kind of silly given that these gain lands are printed in supplemental products all the times nowadays, but, you know, it has sentimental value for me, so that's why I keep this around. Uh, the next non-core standard set after Tarkia was Battle for Zendikar, and anyone who was around then knows that collecting full art lands was a huge deal at the time. Um, so I ended up, I, I do have the full art forts and mountains in my primary EDH deck, the Omnath Hydra's Tribal deck I talked about last episode, but I don't go out of my way to bling out all of my decks with full art basic lands. I think that's a little bit excessive. Um, so I figured the next best thing would be to collect one of each. 
so I did that, uh, collected all different variations of the full art lands uh, for Battle for Zendikar, as well as the full art wastes uh, from, from Oath of the Gatewatch. Interestingly, you know, I actually don't have the full art lands from the original Zendikar block, um, though with the fall block this year, Zendikar Rising, I expect there will be more full art basics to collect, and who knows, maybe I'll go out of my way to collect the original Zendikar basic uh, full art lands as well. I also have full art lands from Amonkhet, uh, Amonkhet and Hour of Devastation with the Bolas horns in them. Uh, and since my binder has three rows, I actually filled in the third row with the Desert Cycle. I'm not entirely happy about that since they aren't full art as well. I probably should, you know, if I should probably go ahead and replace them with the five Theros Beyond Death Nyx basic lands. I just haven't had the time to, to slot them in. Uh, and most of the ones that I had from the box that I opened uh, ended up going into uh, my God Tribal deck I talked about earlier. Uh, maybe if we go back to the Armageddon in the future and they give us full art basics, I might put those in here. Uh, switching gears from desert to snow, hot to cold. Um, I also have three cycles of uh, snowlands. Uh, the first came from Modern Horizons. Uh, all the basic lands were replaced with basic snowlands, uh, full art. So that was definitely a no-brainer for me to collect and put into here. Um, the Secret Lair, uh, Winter Wonderland, had a collector's version of all the snow basics. So those went in here as well. And to finish up the third row, I had the Cold Snap basics. Uh, again, mostly just to fill out the binder. And it had a more modern frame, which I tend to prefer than the older frame, um, so that's why I went with that version. Uh, on the same page, you'll also see the six legendary sources from Dominaria, uh, which I thought were a bit of cool design from a flavor and mechanical point of view. And you'll also see uh, the Dreads secret layer set of, of three cards. Uh, was, you know, just slotted, was, I had a leftover space, so I slotted that in here. Uh, the next cycle of Lancet Collector is kind of a mega cycle. Uh, so in Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Allegiance, uh, they had guild gates for each of the guilds. Um, in fact, they had two of them, uh, one kind of with the guild leader and then one with the guild lieutenant in the flavor text. Um, you know, obviously by drafting a bunch, I ended up collecting a full set of all 20 gates, um, two per guild with 10 guilds. And on top of that, you know, there was also the guild kit pre-constructed decks that had little watermarks uh, on the basic lands for each guild. And, you know, for each, since there are four um, columns in each page, I ended up displaying the two guild gates along with one of each basic land uh, that matched uh, that particular guild with the watermark. Um, awkwardly, because of the way the binder was set up, I had uh, eight slots left over uh, for the la after the last guild simic. Um, so here I slipped in the uh, Serum Visions secret layer as well as the Year of the Rat uh, secret layer. Uh, next up, land-wise, I also collected the five basic lands from the Battle Bond set on Kylum. Uh, the depiction of Valor's Reach looking like Pokemon Stadium uh, from the Super Smash Bros. series really speaks to me. I really love that franchise. Um, I fill out this page also with the uncommon partners from Battle Bond since I really like that design of that mechanic and uh, had a great time playing with my friend John at the Battle Bond pre-release. Uh, on the other side of the page, uh, I have the class pack promos. For those who don't know, these were a set of two pre-con decks um, that came out the time around the time I entered Magic 2015. Um, there were three total uh, coming out in Magic 2015, Fate Reforged, and Magic Origin. Each deck, so you know, uh, there were six decks total, uh, had three alternate art cards. Um, so I ended up saving all three and putting them into my binder, you know, kind of like a memory of my early days of Magic. Um, before I knew not to just buy product just for the sake of having product, I ended up, this is what I went to Barnes & Noble and picked up just to like have more cards in my collection. 
Uh, flipping the page over, you know, we have the other half of the class card, class pack alternate art cards. Um, but I also have the Grand Prix promos. So like I've heard said before, I started going to Grand Prix in 2019 at GP New Jersey, near where I'm at. Um, I also went to GP Phoenix, um, which is where my company is headquartered. And I was fortunate enough to attend GP New Jersey again this year. So I was able to play enough side events at both uh GP Phoenix and GP New Jersey last year um, to get uh, the promo lands for 2019. And I played a bunch uh, in 2020 uh, to get the promos for this year. And so I figured I'd complete the page by getting the 2018 promo lands from the vendors there. So, so far, it's been mostly lands that I've been collecting, um, but I also have other stuff too. Um, I also have a mostly complete set of War of the Spark Planeswalkers. Um, I played enough uh, you know, of the set in paper that I was able to collect most of the English versions organically. Um, I think the only one I ended up missing was the Fairy. Um, and then, you know, when I was at the various GPs over the past couple, past year or so, I figured, you know, why not try to collect the Japanese versions as well? Um, most of the uncommon ones are relatively cheap, and they're only a couple that are, you know, at the higher rarities that are worth more than a couple bucks. Um, the ones that I haven't gotten were, again, the fairy because he's relevant and standard and pretty expensive. And frankly, the Japanese version of Liliana, which is, you know, Final Fantasy appeal. So those are just a little bit too expensive for me to justify spending that much money on them. Uh, hopefully in the future I can get them at some point, maybe the fairy once he rotates out of standard later this year. Um, another completion project, uh, I mentioned that, that I've drafted Unstable enough to get a lot of the cards there. Uh, one thing that really tickled my fancy were the fact that they had cycles of cards that had, uh, th they were the same card, but they were, you know, different either at the common level uh, with just the art or the name being different or at the real level having um, mechanical differences in text in the rules text box. Um, I actually included all of these plus the real versions in the cubes that I have. Um, but in the binder, I ended up including all four versions each of the white amateur author, blues uh, novella mental, blacks extremely zozombly, reds target minotaur, greens beast and so, and the various colorless killbots. Um, four times six is nice 24, so it's kind of fitted nicely in my binder here. Um, I, you know, as someone who professes himself to be a Vorthos, I really do enjoy the world building done throughout Magic's different planes, and I like collecting cards that are cycles that kind of um, mechanically also show the uniqueness of each plane. Um, on Ixalan, I collected the double-sided cards as well as the Elder Dinosaurs um, between the cards and the dinosaurs and the token checklist cards uh, across the two sets. That equals 24, so that you know slotted in nicely in my binder. On Eldraine, uh, I collected a couple of things. Uh, I have one section that has you know all five uh, triple-cost legendary creatures, uh, all five castles, which are the lands, uh, the five knights, uncommon uh, and then the five legendary mythic artifacts um, plus i also included the five color happily ever after cards which kind of symbolizes you know all of them coming together um you know, so I also collected the storybook treatment of the advanced cards, the showcase cards. Um, some of these I did need to pick up at GPs, but a lot of them are commons or uncommons, uh, so relatively cheap, or I was able to open them frequently enough while playing. Um, I also collected all of the sagas from Dominaria um, as well. That was a really cool mechanical thing I really thought was super evocative. Um, I do need to work on finishing up collecting all the sagas with Theros, and who knows, maybe I might end up making a saga tribal deck if they end up making more of these in future sets, but for now, um, Sagas will stay in my binder. Um, I also used to have a section for the Trials and Cartouches of Amonkhet, but when I built my God Tribal deck, I actually added those in there kind of to help fill out the deck and, and you know, so that this is the worshipping of these uh, of these gods. 
Um, since we haven't really had a chance to play Paper Ikoria so much, um, I haven't had a chance to really collect stuff from there. Um, but I'm going to definitely make an effort to try to collect at least a set of all 10 companions, um, as well as the showcase cards, which are the comic book art of all the mutate creatures. Um, I was considering trying to collect all of the Godzilla series cards, but it's highly unlikely I'm going to be able to, they're going to come down to an affordable price to pick up at conventions anytime soon. Um, so yeah, we'll see how collecting Godzilla cards ends up working out. Um, finally, in my main binders, I have the unique cards from the uh, Global Series starter decks. Um, I think the aesthetic of these, when they were trying to reach out to the Chinese market, was super cool and evocative. Um, and so I moved, while I moved Zhang Yanggu and Mu Yanling into their own EDH deck, um, the other cards uh, in the deck are super cool looking. Um, you'll also see on this page, there was a random mountain, uh, which I picked up at a GP. Uh, this is one of the APAC lands from 1998 um, that's based on the Banawe rice terraces in the Philippines. Uh, as a proud Filipino-American, I definitely wanted to pick this one to rep for, the, rep for my ethnicity. Uh, and finally, I have you know random secret layers, uh, specifically Bitter Blossom and Goblins, uh, which will likely be joined by more cards from the upcoming summer set. Um, goblins may end up getting moved out if I end up building a Goblin Tribal deck, um, but you know that aside, uh, you know these definitely spark joy um, when just having this play kind of like a little, little bit of a museum piece. Um, so that, you know, that's that's kind of what I'm going for here. You know, aside from these for my main binder, I do have a couple smaller binders that you know I have collecting projects. Uh, one of them is a completed one, a Modern Horizons art binder. For those who don't know, the Modern Horizons packs had a random card featuring some art from the set, kind of like an artist proof. Um, I ended up collecting all 54 cards, uh, primarily through trades. Um, you know, open up the pack and say, hey, do you have this one? I'd be willing to trade you, yada, yada, yada. Um, I did end up purchasing a couple more, a couple of them once Modern Horizons was no longer being opened as frequently at the store. Um, I also have, you know, in this binder, full art tokens from Unstable, uh, which kind of match the aesthetic of being full art, uh, no borders or anything. Um, I keep these separate from the token binder I talked about earlier. It's also nice to have, you know, as a little bit of trade equity, if, you know, I'm a dollar sort or something, these usually will help sweeten the deal a little bit to get someone to trade. Um, yeah, I've also started a uh, small collecting project where I'm going to try to collect all of the textless Magic Player Rewards cards. Uh, these were coming out from 2005 to 2011, and there were 48 total. I'm uh, not particularly close to this. I only started this uh, back at uh, GP New Jersey. I actually think GP Phoenix as well, but um, you know, I definitely am nowhere near close. There were definitely some super pricey ones like Damnation and Cryptic Command, um, but it does give me something to look to when I'm looking around at vendors uh, at GPs. Uh, finally, I have a few things that aren't quite in my binder, but I definitely consider part of my collection. Uh, first up is above my desk. It's the uncut War of the Spark Rare Foil Sleet. Um, I was one of those who had tried their hand at ordering the War of the Spark Mythic Edition on eBay and pick up the alternate art Planeswalkers in there, uh, failed uh, as many people did, and ended up getting the seat as compensation. Um, like I said, it currently hangs over my desk. Probably not the best for the acoustics of recording podcasts, but it's super pretty. Um, the other thing that I have collecting collectible-wise are my playmats. Uh, right now, I have my first playmat, an Omnath Locus of Rage, uh, which matches my first commander that I have and talked about last week. I added googly eyes on him just for a little bit of fun. Uh, I have two playmats from the guys over at the Command Zone and Game Nights, uh, which was signed by Jimmy and Josh. Uh, one from Maro, uh, signed of his of look at me i'm the dci uh, this was sold uh, on original magical art 
uh, for charity. Um, so it didn't feel bad about picking that one up. And then two from the two recent GPs I attended, uh, 2019's Phoenix and 2020 New Jersey. Um, the latter I actually got signed by the guys over at Lords of Limited, Ethan Sachs and Ben Worney, aka Lord Tupperware and Mr. Metronome. I definitely didn't do as well as they did. I scrubbed out day one while they made it a day three. So congrats, guys. Um, I definitely had to track them down between rounds on day three to get them to sign it as I didn't really want to be a bother. Uh, I'm also penning a couple of playmats from John Avon and his Kickstarter. I think I had picked out the Unstable Lands, uh, no surprise there, um, as well as uh, City of Ass um, from Unhinged. Um, was unglued. I forget which one. Um, in any case, that's the status of my Magic collection that will likely go unplayed and untraded anytime soon. Um, I am, you know, planning on hopefully soon picking up uh, the Walking Ballista. Uh, is it the Walking Ballista? Um, the the Mecha Godzilla promo from the Love Your LGS promo coming up, as well as uh, the Well Aquarius Tower. So those will be slotting into my binder as well. Um, obviously, I do have some high budget car items in there. Um, the most valuable ones I opened by accident, and there are, are some cards I spent a you know pretty penny on to complete the set or at GPs or secret layers. But you can see most of what I talked about, frankly, are stuff that's relatively low value financially. I mean, basic lands are pretty low value. And the value comes from the sentiment that I put into these pieces of cardboard, especially those that remind me of sets that I played a lot. And I happen to just collect all of these by playing the game a lot, um, especially, you know, for example, Unstable. And when you have great stories behind some of these cards, such as Sovereign's Realm or Fatal Puss or, um, you know, that summon the pack, um, you know, it's just those are the great stories that to be had playing this game. So what about you? You know, what are collections you have that, you know, may or may not be super valuable on the secondary market, but still have great meaning to you? Um, anyway, in any case, this casting of pod is slowly coming to its resolution. Uh, you can find uh, Into the Ether Vortex on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. We can leave a review on any of those podcast stores on podchaser.com. Uh, links are in the show notes. You can reach out with ideas or feedback on Twitter at EtherVortexPod or via email at Into the Ether Vortex text at gmail.com uh, my architect with all of my deck lists is linked in the username ninja boy uh, boy which was with an i i also stream um, magic arena every friday night on twitch at uh, ninja boy 333 the intro and outro music is provided by kevin macleod you can find his stuff at incompetech film music io editing and production is provided by ninja boy media uh, remember i cast pod every second and fourth fridays of the month uh, but until then uh, remember may your lands be plentiful but not too plentiful bye guys mm-hmm.